So we are continuing our... Oh, I have it right there. Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, we'll, we'll do it next time. Uh, all right. Uh, we are in Romans chapter 5. Working our way through the book of Romans. We're going to take a pretty big chunk tonight. Uh, more than usual. 12 through 21. Uh, there's a lot in this passage, but I think... Uh, for our understanding, it's going to be uh, better for us just in one take. Uh, I was going back and forth on that. But uh, that's, that's how we're going to approach this passage, verses 12 through 21. If you would, please follow along. Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, a lot in there. Let me pray for God's grace tonight. Lord God, we need you. Lord, we ask for your grace that you would give us understanding. God, strengthen me in my weakness. Guard my tongue, Lord, from saying things that are not your truth. But Lord, I pray that I would only speak what is true about you. I ask for your Holy Spirit uh, to be with us tonight, God, that you be glorified, that you would be working uh, in and through us tonight. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, well, when I was going to the wonderful college of DVC, <laughs> thank you, KK, <laughs> because I couldn't afford real college. <laughs> School, if you like lowering the bar. But anyway, um, you know you have to. You know I, you don't do this necessarily in high school, but in college you're like, hey, I get to choose my professor, and you you have multi, you know the same class, let's say English 101, but it's taught by three or four professors. And so I don't know if they still have this. They probably do a website called RateMyProfessors.com. It's the best. And you go on, and you know, like people rate them. Like, yeah, they're a 10 or a 5.5 or whatever. And they got like this weird thing, like a chili pepper. Like, ooh, they're hot. And they're like, what the heck is going on? 
But I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. But I remember one time in one of my classes, I think it was my English class, there were two classes, the same time slot that I needed, and it was the exact English 101 that I needed, but two different professors. One was like a 9.5, and the other one was like a 3.2. And it's like, I'm choosing the 9.5, of course, like no question about it, right? Like, of course, I'm going to choose the better one. That was clear to me. Why would I choose the one who's not as good? Why would I choose the lesser one? Now, in this passage, Romans 5, 12 through 21, we see two representatives, Adam and Christ. And one is clearly better than the other. Right? If they were on RateMyProfessor.com, come on, Jesus got to have it better than that. Right? And that's what we see on here. That one is better than the other, Adam and Christ. And these are... Our two representatives, as in everyone in this room and everyone in the world is represented by one of these two people, these two men, either Adam or by Christ. And so the question for you tonight is, who is your representative? Is Adam your representative or is Christ your representative? You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. Where do you find yourself tonight? Now, this passage Romans 5, 12 through 21 is a very difficult passage. Uh, and I'll admit, I, I struggle through this passage. Um, spent a lot of time, uh, mo- more than I think I, I normally do, just reading and reading and praying and trying to understand this. Um, even in, in a couple of the commentaries I was reading, they, they even say that it, it is known to them as the most difficult passage, not just in Romans, but in all of Scripture. They say, this passage is the most difficult. And I was like, really? And I started reading them. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, that's why. Uh, It is. Um, In it, I mean, possesses just incredible truths that we cannot afford to ignore. uh, And we can't afford to misunderstand either. So it is is my prayer. It's been my prayer all week with great humility that the Holy Spirit would indeed guide me. Uh, to teach his word accurately and truthfully. Uh, But just because we encounter a difficult passage, whether it be tonight or even as you encounter difficult passages in your own studies, uh, doesn't mean that we should avoid it. In fact, we shouldn't. We shouldn't avoid the difficult passages. Because God revealed it to us in his word for a reason, and not just to be ignored or to pass over. But we should, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, seek to understand his truth. So that is my hope. That's my prayer for us tonight. Uh, In this passage, Paul addresses some of, I think, the world's biggest questions. Why is there sin and death in the world? It's a big question that a lot of people ask. Why is there sin and death in the world? And the follow-up question that would be big is, well, then what's the solution? And Paul addresses both of that uh, in this passage. There's, There's just, there's so much in this passage, I mean, it is just rich, it is overflowing in doctrinal truths. And, and I want us to be able to get as much as we can in it. I, I never want to lower the bar or, or, or dumb down the sermon just because we're at youth group. Like, not at all. I, I want to keep the bar high for, for you guys, for all of us here. I believe that you all need to hear God's word for what it is in all of its complexity and all of its depth. So please hang, hang with me tonight. All right. It, it may feel a little heady, but please try to stay awake. Try to track with me. I'm going to do the best I can to make it as clear as possible. So 
We are going to try to tackle this all in one week. I've thought about, should I take six weeks? And I was like, no, 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 I think I'm just going to take the one. Okay. I'm just going to take the one. Uh, so we're going to do the one week. I say, okay, how can I best just kind of wrap this in and outline it for one week? Uh, and I think the best way to outline this and attempt to grasp these deep truths uh, is by categorizing it really in just the two groups, in Adam and in Christ. Right? Like, that's it. It's in Adam and in Christ. And you're going to find yourself in one of these two places, that you are either in Adam or you are in Christ. So my hope for tonight is that you would clearly know where you land. Where are you? And that you would clearly know that Christ is better. So, we start. The two questions that he tackled. I've been asking both people around me. The two questions. No, excellent. You can ask any time. First question. Why is there sin and death in the world? Why is there sin and death in the world? Which we'll see in Adam. A little spoiler. And what is the solution? And we're going to see that. What do you think? In Christ. You got it. Jesus is correct. So we're going to start with our first representative. In Adam. We're going to look at three aspects in each, in Adam and in Christ. So first, in Adam. First one is that in Adam, we have sin. In Adam, we have sin. Paul says that through one man, as in Adam, through one man, Adam, sin entered the world. Jason was even talking about this tonight. Sniff it. Thank you. I was like, man, that's beautiful. Nice little warm-up for us. Okay? Now, notice he doesn't say that sin originated in Adam. But rather, he says that sin came into the world, into the human realm with Adam. How did that happen? Most of you guys probably know, but if not, right, you look at Genesis 1 through 3. After God created Adam, he told Adam, hey, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but what? You cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam was given one clear rule. Don't eat from this tree. Then after some time, right, God, he, he creates Eve to be with Adam, be Adam's helper. And they're there, and they're in the garden. And one day, Satan tempts Eve to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Eve disobeyed first, gave the fruit to Adam, who then ate and disobeyed as well. And the primary responsibility here falls on Adam. Now, did Eve sin? Yes, she did. But the primary responsibility is Adam. Adam has headship over Eve. And in his passivity, he did not exercise his authority or his his headship like he should have. Instead, what did Adam do? He stood by as Eve was being tempted. He was there, at least what it seems like. He was standing there. And instead, he he let Eve lead him into disobedience. Eve sinned, yes. But the primary responsibility, it falls on Adam. And Paul says that sin entered the world. And he's not saying that sin, plural, entered the world, but rather sin, singular, entered the world. And that is important for us to note. It's important to note that because what what Paul is talking about is is not sin entering the world as in unrighteous acts, like all these unrighteous acts are entering the world. But rather he's talking about sin as a very nature, singular, sin. Sin entered the world. The nature of sin has now entered the world. And that sin nature being passed down from Adam has been passed down and passed down through generation. So why is it that we sin? 
Why is it that you and I sin? Because we all do sin. Why? Why is it that a two-year-old, my little two-year-old Jericho, why is it that he knows how to deceive me and his mom? (laughs) Why is it that he knows exactly what I tell him and he chooses to do the opposite? Bless his heart. (laughs) Why? It's not because two-year-olds and little babies or anyone that – or we – that we need to learn how to sin, but it's because it's of their very nature, right? It is of our nature that we have. It's our sin nature, and every single one of us has a sin nature. This is why we sin. We sin because it's a reflection of what's inside. It's not that at one point in our life we choose to sin, and then from there on out, now we're a sinner. After we've chosen to sin, now we're sinners. No, it's the opposite. Is that we are already sinners by nature, and the sin that comes forth is a reflection of who we already are. We are sinners by nature. Why? Because we are in Adam. And it is in Adam that sin entered the world. Because Adam represents the entire human race. Everyone. And while there are subcategories of people, we all originate from one man, from Adam. So when Adam sinned, his inner nature changed. He then had a depraved nature, a sinful nature. And, and that polluted, that, that polluted sin nature, that spiritual condition that entered this world has been passed down through his descendants, has been passed down from generation to generation. And has been passed down even to us. And see, it's important for us to understand that because I think the world has it backwards. See, it's not that man has slowly been getting better and better and evolving and getting better as some scientists will suggest. It's the opposite. Humanity is devolving. It is growing in greater and greater sinfulness. Not in, in godliness or in goodness. In fact, the world is calling what is good bad, and is calling what is bad good. We've exchanged the truth for a lie, as we looked at in Romans chapter 1. We're getting worse. Sin is in the world. Sin is in us, in our very nature. Why? Because we are in Adam. See, Adam sinned not as a man, but he sinned as man. He is our representative for all humanity. It's it's, it's as if the entire human race was present at the Garden of Eden. And all of us have a sin nature because of Adam, because we are in him. And there are consequences to that. There are consequences to our sin. So not only do we share in his sin nature, but we also share in his death. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says that in Adam all die. So our second point, first we see that in Adam we have sin, but our second point is that in Adam we have death. In Adam we have death. And I don't know if there's anything more certain in life than death. It is the inevitable and unquestionable victor over humanity. It is a certainty that looms over every human. It's a topic that most don't like to discuss because of its inevitable victory over us. It's something that most people try to avoid and put off as long as possible. How much longer can I live, Doc? Like, I I, I don't want to die. I'm too young to die, right? It's what we say. 
But it's something that we all face. Because of Adam and because of sin, now we face death. For the wages of sin is death, says Romans 6, 23, which we'll get at soon. We've all sinned. It's in our very nature. So what does that mean? It means that we have earned, like a wage, we've earned, rightfully, death. But what do we mean when we say death? When we say that in Adam we have death, what, what kind of death? There are three types of death, I think, in this world. We'll look at each. Spiritual, physical, and eternal. Spiritual death, physical death, eternal death. Let's look at all of them. Spiritual death. That now, in our sin nature, who we are, we are spiritually dead. To be spiritually dead, to say we are spiritually dead, that is a terrifying thought. Because to be spiritually dead means that we cannot do anything on our own to save ourselves. If you are maybe late junior high or early high school, you were here when I was teaching junior high going through the book of Ephesians. And you remember we looked at this in Ephesians chapter 2, right? Like imagine that there is a dead body here laying in, in the middle of the floor. First off, that would be weird and we should call someone to take care of that. Okay? But let's just say it wasn't weird and no one's taking care of it. And so now we have this dead body laying on the floor. We're like, whoa, there's Mr. Dead Guy. Like, what are you doing here? And like we check him, check the pulse and everything. Yeah, he's dead. We come back. We play David Jones for a couple hours, okay? We come, oh, he's still dead. Like, for sure, he's dead. All right? Now, there's nothing we can do. Like, what if we're like, you know what? Bridget's like, yeah, I, I, you know, I've tried, I'm doing this nursing thing or something, right? And so yeah, I have some Advil in the car. That'll work. <laughs> right? It usually does. So she gets the Advil, she pops it in his, in his mouth, and nothing, right? Like, why? Because he's dead. And we try everything, and we're like, dude, get up! Like, you gotta get up! Like, you can't be here! And let's say all of a sudden, like, a Franklin lights the church on fire, because I'm sure that's gonna happen. One of these days, by you guys. And, and now as it's like burning, we're like, Mr. Dead God, get out! The church is burning! You think he's gonna be like, alright, I gotta go. No, he can't. He can't respond. Why? Because he's dead. And there's nothing that he can do to save himself, to resurrect himself. And there's nothing I can do to save him. Why? Because he's already dead. And guys, it, it, it is the same thing, like for us spiritually, that we, we are spiritually dead. And there's nothing you can do to save yourself spiritually. There's nothing I can do to save you spiritually. You are spiritually dead. Like it, But we think... Well, maybe I can save myself spiritually. No. Like, if this was a dead body, an actual dead, Mr. Dead Body here on the floor, like, you're hopeless. It's too late. Game over. Let's move on. Like, it's a non-starter. We're not going to be like, well, maybe we can bring it back to life. It's been a month now, but I think we have a chance. Like, you think I'm crazy. Why are we even talking about the fact that this dead person can get up and walk around? No chance. Unless. Unless a divine miracle from God, boom, resurrects this dead body, right? Say hi to Lazarus, right? Jesus, like, yes, dead, then, but that's it. That's the only chance this Mr. Dead guy has of walking again and being alive. And guys, that is the same for each and every person on this earth. We have a sin nature, and because of it, we are spiritually dead, and we have zero chance to get up and live unless a divine miracle from God resurrects our soul. Amen. That is what we need. So guys, understand that this, because of Adam, because of your sin nature, you are spiritually dead. 
And we're going to see soon that why that's so important then that we have Christ. Not only do we have a spiritual death, but we have a physical death. And because of sin, there's now physical death in the world. Right? There was no death before the fall, before sin entered the world. But now, as a result of sin, there is death. And life ends. Maybe you guys have experienced, uh, not yourself dying physically, but other people physically dying. Right? So you understand that pain, that sorrow. And it's because of sin. And it's not just a result of those who sin. Not just that, oh yeah, they committed these sins and so they died. But it's a result of the sin of this world and of sin nature. Why is it that young infants or why is it that babies in the womb die? It's not because they sinned. But why? Because of the sin in this world. Because it's how dark sin is in our sin nature. Physical death is something that we all must face. Every single one of us will experience a physical death unless the Lord comes back first. Which I'm still hoping that at Richard and Ruth's wedding, the Lord comes back. That's crazy. I'd be like, we brought you here today. Boom, here's Jesus. That's the best wedding, right? I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Maybe. That is so cool, right? Like your wedding, but then like we're at his wedding. Like, man, I'd be crazy. All right. The last death. The last death, okay? There's three types of death because of in Adam we have death, we have spiritual death, we have physical death, and we have eternal death. And the Bible refers to this as the second death, Revelation 21.8. It is this eternal separation from God and, and eternal torment in the lake of fire. This is eternal death. And guys, this, I believe, is the worst of them all. This is the worst of them all. It, it, it is, I mean, it's, it's, as we said, it's eternal. It's never ending. Remember like we, we said last week? What did you say last week? That you can spend a billion years in the lake of fire and you won't be one second closer to being out of the lake of fire. That's how eternal it is. And not only will there be torment and pain and darkness and gnashing of teeth, but the worst part, something that we have yet to experience is the total separation from God. I, I don't even want to imagine that. Like even, even non-Christians today experience a, de- a degree of God's common grace. But to have his hand completely removed, that's a terrifying thought. But this is what we have in Adam. We have death. Spiritually, physically, and eternally. The last thing we have in Adam is we have defeat. In Adam, we have defeat. We've seen that in him, in Adam, we've had sin, we have death, and now we see in Adam, we have defeat. All of humanity, all, has defeat. Paul says that death spread to all men because all sinned, verse 12. Death affected everyone. Everyone. Even Enoch and Elijah. You're like, wait a second, they didn't experience physical death. No, they escaped physical death, but they were still born spiritually dead. Even Jesus, who didn't experience spiritual or eternal death, what? He did experience physical death. See, the effects of sin is universal. And this defeat, as long as you are an Adam, this defeat is Universal, Not because we have sinned, but because in our nature, we are now sinners. All of us. Everyone. 
And Paul proves this by talking about everyone who lived between Adam and Moses. Right? He, he throws that in there uh, in, in verses 14. He's talking about, well, what about these people from Adam and Moses? Right? Because, because the question would be, well, what about those people? Because the law came through Moses. So what about the people between Adam and Moses? I mean, Adam had a very clear rule, right? Like, don't eat from this tree. Okay, he, he broke the law. Moses, there's a law. Very clear. But what about the people in between? They didn't have a law yet, so, so how can they be held responsible? Are they sinners? Did they sin? What about them? And Paul says, yes, death still reigned between Adam and Moses. Why? How is this possible? Not because they broke a law in which they did not yet receive, but because by their very nature they were sinners. Why? Because who are they in? In Adam. Not by breaking specific commands, but by being found in Adam's transgressions. Death reigned. Even in the time without law, because all are in Adam, and so all are found guilty in him. And death reigned. And, and it was so, I think, incredibly clear. I think it's part of the point. If you look at the genealogy in Genesis chapter 5, it, oh, it's just like, it's just like, a, like a nail in the coffin every time. As you read each section, it ends with, and he died. And he died. And he died. And you just hear it over and over again. And he died. Kind of like, oh, it makes you shiver a little bit. And it shows the reigning power of death and defeat, even in that period of time. And it still reigns even today. The point is this. That as long as you remain in Adam, you are defeated. And that goes for everyone. That if, if, if you are here, if you are here tonight and you are not a Christian, then you remain in Adam. And as long as you remain in Adam, you will face defeat. And you are already experiencing one of the three deaths, <clears throat> spiritual death. And you will experience the other two. And you will not find victory over sin and death apart from Christ. All you find is eternal defeat. But there is hope. Right, there is hope. And partly, th th this is why I didn't want to just have this in one message or six messages, right? But I, I, no, sorry, two messages or six messages. I wanted it in one because I wanted us to see that the hope, that there is hope found only and surely in the person of Jesus Christ. So we see that in Adam, but now let's see in Christ. We'll look at three things as well. In Adam, we've seen we have sin, we have death, we have defeat. Well, what about in Christ? In Christ, we have forgiveness. In Christ, we have forgiveness. See, in Adam, we received sin. But in Christ, the new Adam, we have forgiveness by his grace. You see how amazing this is. We've seen tonight that in Adam, we have sin. In Adam, we have death. In Adam, we have defeat. So what do we do? What do we do with this? What do we do with our sin and our death and our defeat? We turn to Christ. Where there's forgiveness of the sin. We have sinned against God. Every single one of us. We are guilty before Him. Guilty before God. But in Christ. Even though we're guilty before Him. We have forgiveness of our sin. Guys. God hates sin. Do you understand? 
He hates sin. More than I think we realize. More than I think we understand. Like his hatred of sin is stronger than your hatred towards anything. And I hate sin. I hate sin. I hate the sin inside me. I hate the sin in, in this world. Oh, man, when, when, when I hear things like, like rape or child abuse or sex trafficking or murder or manipulation or deceit, like I hate it. It's disgusting. But God hates it more. Infinitely more. And his hatred is holy and pure and just. God hates sin more than we hate anything. But even so, God's grace is greater than your sin. <clears throat> and we know this because he's provided redemption from our sins by what? By taking upon the sins of the world himself. The very sin in which he hates perfectly, he put on himself. That he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So you see, in Adam, we have sin, but in Christ, we have forgiveness. And it is in Christ, and only in Christ, that we can be forgiven. I just want to be very clear on that. There is no forgiveness in keeping the law and trying to do everything right and be a good Christian. There is no forgiveness in balancing the scales that if I do more good than bad, then now it outweighed it, so I have forgiveness. There's no forgiveness in church attendance on coming here every single Sunday of, of the year for your whole life and always coming to TYG. There's no forgiveness in godly wisdom or in family tradition or in family heritage. Or why? I come from a Christian family. No, that's not where you get your forgiveness. There is no forgiveness in anything outside of Jesus Christ. It is in him alone that we can be forgiven of our sins. Do you believe this? Do you know and, and do you understand your need for forgiveness? Or not, not non-Christian, if you're not a Christian, are, are, you just, are you okay remaining broken and, and hopeless in your sin? Are you okay with that non-Christian? If you are still in Adam, I beg you, come to Christ and receive the forgiveness of your sins. In Christ we have forgiveness. Secondly, in this section, we see that in Christ we have life. In Christ we have life. We see in Adam we have death, but in Christ we have life. It's complete opposite. It's a complete contrast, right? That Christ, indeed, he is our solution. Guys, the power of sin is strong. And the result is death. But even though it is strong, it can be broken. You see, Jesus Christ breaks the power of sin and death. But the opposite is not true. The opposite is not true. While Christ breaks the power of sin and death, sin and death cannot break the power of Christ. The power of Christ can never be broken. It is in him that we are rescued from death and that we are given life. See, being in Adam, if you are in Adam, that's reversible. Being in Christ is not reversible. And so if you are still in Adam tonight, know that you don't need to stay in Adam. 
But the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Being an Adam is reversible. The difference of being in Christ is that it's not. That once you are in Christ, you are forever in Him. That you've been given life and eternal life. That in which can never be taken. That nothing can separate you from the love of God. You cannot be pried out of the grip of God. right? But he has you firm in his hand. You cannot be pried by Satan. You cannot be pried by the world. Or, or even by your own sin and your own self. God has you secure in him. So in Christ we have life. So if you're a Christian, if you are in Christ and you indeed have life, then what does that mean about your relationship with death? It means you have no fear in death. You have no fear in the spiritual or the physical or eternal death. Because Christian, you are no longer spiritually dead as God has resurrected your soul. You were Mr. Dead Guy in here and a divine miracle did happen. And so you did raise from the dead and you are given new life and you are now alive in him. So you don't fear spiritual death and you don't need to fear physical death either. Oh, but it's scary. I know it is scary. I know that. But we don't need to fear it. Why? Because all physical death does for you, Christian, is just usher you to the presence of Christ. That's it. As Paul would say in Philippians 1.21, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because we'll be with him. And we don't need to fear eternal death. Because the entire amount of wrath that you accounted for, Christ took on your behalf on the cross. So Christian, we do not need to fear death. So live in boldness and live with great hope and confidence in Christ and enjoy the life that he has given you. And lastly, we see that in Christ we have victory. In Christ we have victory. See, while in Adam we have defeat, in Christ we have victory. Victory over what? Victory over sin and death. In Christ, because of his perfect life and because of his sacrificial death, his righteousness is imputed onto Christians. We share in the righteousness of Christ through our union with him. I mean, that's really what the whole thing's about is union with Christ. It's not our righteousness. What it is that covers us? Verse 18 and 19 says that if you are in, in Adam, you have been made a sinner. But look, if you are in Christ, you have been made righteous. Like, do you see the victory that that gives us? It's not just that in Christ we've been forgiven of our sins. I mean, yes, that's true, but it's not just that. There's much more than that. It's that in Christ we have his righteousness in our account. See, in our sin, we're in debt. We're in eternal debt. But he doesn't just clear. It's not his forgiveness. It's just, hey, you know I'm going to clear your debts. You're, you're just back at zero, so your bank account is zero. I mean, that'd be great. That'd be great if you clear your debts. But it's more. He says, I clear your debts, and let me just fill your account with my riches, with my righteousness. Right? So we are rich in him. So, Christian, we have victory in our union with Christ in his righteousness on our behalf. The final day of judgment. When you stand before God, Christian, you will be innocent because of your union with Christ. 
Because you will be found in him, in Christ, and his righteousness will be covering you. But guys, that victory is not just judgment day. That victory is not just for eternity, but that victory is now. That victory is for today. That even now, if you are a Christian, you are found in Christ. So that means, Christian, that your relationship with God is completely different now than it used to be. You're no longer his enemy, but you are now his child. You are no longer distant from him. But now what? You can approach him with confidence. You no longer live without a purpose, just mindlessly in this world. But now you live for his glory and praise. That victory is today. Why? Because of the great grace that you've received. Oh, man, I love verse 20. Paul says in verse 20 that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Like, can we just stop and realize, like, how amazing is that? What? What are you talking about? Like, that doesn't seem right. Like, let's just, let's take a step back because we hear it all the time. We're like, yeah, of course, it's grace abounds. Well, wait a second. Like, we're not like that. If someone offends us, like, what do we do? We withdraw from them a little bit. If someone offends us or, 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 or maybe like they, they even sin against us and maybe they, they hurt us like really bad. We don't want to be around them. Right? Like our, our relationship's broken a little bit. Maybe we're in conflict with them. Maybe we're, we're like we're, we're divided. Like the more and more you continue to sin against me, like, hey, like I, I don't want any part of this relationship. Like it gets worse, but not with God. It's the opposite. Where sin increases, grace abounds. Like, this is how amazing his grace is for his people. I want to keep going, but I think we're going to look at it next week, so i got to wait. But I do want us to see tonight that his grace is amazing and that it abounds even more than our sin. Guys, his grace does not run out. It is unlimited. If you are in Christ, you cannot out-sin the grace of God. Maybe you say, no, I, I sin a lot. I bet you do. But God's grace is greater. And you say, no, no, but you don't understand. My sin's pretty bad. I bet it is. But God's grace is greater. Do you see what we have in Christ? We have victory in him. We have victory over the reigning power of sin. Not through us. Not because of us. But because of Christ. And it is in him that we have true victory. As we close, I go back to our original question. Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? And you're in one of them. Every single one of us, we're in one of them. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And it's important to know where you are. Because it radically changes your life today and it radically changes your eternity. Where are you? In Adam or in Christ? Because by nature, you are in Adam. By grace, you can be in Christ. So who is your representative? Is Adam your representative? Or is Christ your representative? And I want to talk about that, about representative. Because maybe you're here tonight, and you don't like the idea of having a representative. Maybe you feel... I remember when I was first kind of going over this. I was going over this in college, and I was thinking, man, it's kind of unfair like that Adam, for Adam to represent me. You feel that at all? Maybe you feel that it's unfair for Adam to represent you. Like, why should you suffer the consequence for his mistake? Maybe your argument is, look, 
You weren't even there in the garden. You didn't make the decision to take the fruit, and so you shouldn't be responsible for someone else's decision. That seems plausible. Like, I get that. It seems plausible. But if that's what's going on in your mind, if you're thinking, yeah, hold on a second, Adam, I don't even know him, and yet I'm suffering consequences for him, that's not right. If that's going on through your mind, let me at least just offer you this. That in the same way you were not present in the garden, you also were not present at the crucifixion. You also weren't present at the empty grave. So you may say that you don't want to be held responsible for someone else's actions like Adam's. And yet you do want to be held responsible for someone else's actions in Christ. You can't choose just one, not the other. You, you can't say, I want to be represented by Christ, but not represented by Adam. Or maybe you say, well, fine, I don't want a representative. I want to represent myself. <laughs> That's just as dangerous. Right? If God had chosen to judge us according to our own selves and not in Adam, we would all inevitably fail anyways. See, if that, if that principle were true, that, that man cannot be held responsible for, for Adam's actions, let's say, yep, forget it, we're not represented by Adam. Well, then one, it would ultimately still lead to our eternal destruction. And two, it would be impossible for us to make the argument that we should be made righteous through Christ's actions. It is good that we have a representative and not ourselves. And so since we have been judged in Adam, we can also be judged in Christ. And it is in Christ that we have life, that we have his righteousness. As 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, for as in Adam all die, I didn't finish it. So also in Christ, all shall be made alive. So don't sit here and think it's unfair. It's not right to be represented and to be judged by someone else's actions. You're right, it's not. We shouldn't be judged by Christ's actions. Instead, be thankful that Christ can be your representative and that you can be judged by someone else's actions so that you can be made free in Christ. If you're here tonight, you find yourself in Adam. If you're not a Christian, you still find yourself in Adam. Know that you need to be in Christ and that you can be in Christ. By God's grace, he has opened the door for salvation. And so if you feel the call to come to God, then respond to the call with faith in Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God and that he alone can save you from your sins. And turn to him in genuine repentance of your sins, asking him to forgive you of all of your sins and to submit to him as your King and as your Lord and as your Savior. And if you are in Christ, no longer in Adam, but you are in Christ. Remember, you once were in Adam. And it's only by the grace of God that you are now alive in Christ. And it's nothing that you have done to deserve to be made alive. It's, it's, it's not that you're so lovely that God chose you, but it is purely by the grace of God that you are saved. I hope that brings you much humility and much thankfulness. And a burning desire to live for him. Are you in Adam? Or are you in Christ? In Adam we have sin, death, and defeat. But in Christ we have forgiveness, life, and victory. Praise be to God that Christ is the new Adam. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for Christ. Uh, we are hopeless without you. 
God, in you we have forgiveness and life and victory. God, I pray for anyone in here that's still in Adam. God, that you would that you would have a divine miracle in their life and resurrect their life and give them new life to see you. God, for those in here who are in Christ, I pray that, that we would be overflowing in thankfulness and praise to you and that we would seek to live for you in all that we do. God, by your Holy Spirit, I pray you'd be working our hearts, even in our discussion. God, that would be glorifying to you, that we'd be more and more like Christ. For your glory and praise, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.